Hi, this is Elisha Lovejoy, and you're listening to the Westchester Church Podcast. I probably shouldn't say this, but David's wife told me he sings Backstreet Boys songs in the shower. Hey, Backstreet's back, all right! I'm just now realizing that this church missed out on a glorious opportunity just last week. As I was speaking about, if anybody slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek to them also to slap. And if I had called for a volunteer to um, show what that's like, the opportunity to, to walk up here and to slap your preacher in the face would have been absolutely irresistible. So I guess if you don't like this message this morning, you can slap me silly in the hallway. Just like Amanda's going to slap me silly when she comes home and sees what I've done to my, my head here. But, but when that happens, I will give her the other cheek with which to slap. Um, I love photography. I am married to a photographer, and so I guess that's, that's how I arrived there. But we don't have a television in our house, but... Something that I've found myself doing a lot lately is I I just love looking at a lot of old images. And I mean, I can spend 20 or 30 minutes at a time, all all depending on the picture, looking at it. And and I mean, it's got so many different stories that it can tell if you look close enough. And as I was preparing for this particular text this morning, really the first picture that had jumped out at mine was was a picture of my friend who I used to work with in Florida her name is Dawn this is at her sister's wedding and her father and mother are are in a dance here and and as much as I love that part of it really the part that I want to emphasize here is is my friend Dawn right here on the right side and she's hugging her sister and it's kind of hard to see I'm I'm sure in the back, but just the look on their faces as they look at their mom and dad, this is some otherworldly kind of love that, that I love these people so much that, that my face is literally glowing as I look at them. I mean, is there anybody in your life, in your world, who you have ever loved this much to where to be in their presence is to instantly have a smile that is so big that your face is going to hurt at the end of the day? And you know, the incredible thing about Jesus is that he can look at anybody and everybody in this way. He could look at everybody who he ran into with this otherworldly love that, that, that I just love this person so much that I just can't stop smiling as I look at them. And it was read to us a moment ago, and I would like to read it again to, to um, impress it on our minds even more. As we continue in our journey on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, That you have heard that it was said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous 
For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, then what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the exact same thing? And it's so funny that, that just a few days ago, I was speaking to a person who lives in the city who's, who's not exactly what we would call the church-going type, but I'm getting to, to really know this person. And so they had asked me, David, what are you going to speak about in church this Sunday? And I said, well, I'm going to speak about why we should love our enemies. And he changed that subject so quick. I mean, anything else, anything else is what they wanted to, to have a conversation about. They did not want to have a conversation about that for, I mean, one millisecond. I mean, just instantly, you know. And yet, if we're very honest, though, with ourselves, this isn't exactly something that even Christians want to entertain most of the time. Well, Jesus begins, as we've seen in these past couple months, in these transforming initiatives that, that he speaks about, where, where this is what religious convention has been, but now I am here to tell you this. Jesus once again begins with bad religious habits. As he says that you've heard that it was said, you shall love your, your neighbor. And this is good because where this comes from is indeed in the law of Moses where, where it says that you shall not take vengeance, nor shall you bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Really what Jesus is speaking about in terms of, of loving even enemies, this really is nothing new in this time, but, but rather, even in the Old Testament days, Jews were to actually do good deeds to, to even enemies. This is nothing new. But where the problem was, was, was halfway in there, where it says that you can't bear a grudge against any of the sons of your own people. And then comes the word neighbor. And so a lot of people had assumed that what this means is that a neighbor is only a person of my own personal ethnicity. A neighbor is only the people who look like me and who think like me and who believe just exactly as I believe. And in fact, as Jesus walks the earth in the first century, one of the, the main um, of debates in this time was, well, I mean, who is my neighbor, Jesus? Our neighbors are just the people who look like us. And that's where the story of the Good Samaritan comes from. About a Samaritan who the Jews despised, had no dealings with, viewed as if they were, were animals and dogs. Jesus makes a Samaritan the, the um, hero of the story, showing even an enemy of his love and compassion. That's where all of that had come from. But as we will notice in the Old Testament, Never once in the law of Moses does it say that you are to actually hate your enemy. This was something that they had invented completely and entirely independent of the law of Moses. And as best as we can tell, maybe the only place where they were drawing this from in Scripture comes much later on from King David in Psalm 139 as, as he says this very poetic language. He says, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred they have become. And then he uses the E word, they have become my enemies. And so by the time Jesus walks the, the um, world in the first century, 
What the perception of the time was is that, well, if King David had enemies that he hated, then this means that we also get to hate and to despise and to loathe our enemies. As far as we can tell, that is where that comes from. But the problem with this is, and it still continues still to this day, doesn't it? You see, the problem with this is, is that it, in our hearts, it makes love very narrow in our lives. It justifies our prejudices. It keeps us very confined, locked up in this very narrow, very, very small, very exclusive world in which it is very segregated in the way that, that we see certain kinds of people. And yet, do you know what is far worse than living in a segregated city or walking down a segregated city block? It's when we live with a segregated mind and when we live and when we look at other people with a segregated heart and a segregated spirit and we have the audacity to then claim that we're the people of God. That is far worse than living in a segregated city. Well, that word enemy might confuse us a little bit because, I mean, I don't think most people have an enemy right now in their life. Maybe, maybe you do, but a lot of people who I've had a conversation with about this text say, well, we don't really have enemies anymore, except countries maybe, but it might help us all to understand exactly who Jesus is referring to in our lives. If we were to ask a few questions, is there anybody in our life who we would look at, either an individual or a group of people, and we would say, that person is not my neighbor because they don't look like me. They don't come from the same country where I come from. They don't speak my language. They don't believe exactly as I believe. That person is not my neighbor. Or is there anybody in our life where we are an us and we look at them as if they were a them? We are over here and they're way over here and we've got nothing to do with those kind of people over there. It's a person who is not a member of our tribe. It's a person who we wouldn't exactly be sad if we, we were to actually hear that they, they just dropped dead a few minutes ago. Maybe even have happiness, smiling that that person is no longer alive. That is exactly who this person is Jesus is referring to. It's anybody who we refer to with dehumanizing language. Oh, that's not a person, that is a libtard. That's not a person, that is a snowflake, conservative. Those are not people over there, those are them illegals. Or even worse, that we refer to with, with a slur or a, or a pejorative of some kind. This, this is the kind of people Jesus is referring to here. And I'll never forget on 9-11 on how, how chilling it was watching people, Palestinians, literally dancing in celebration in the streets after all of those thousands of people had died in the World Trade Center attacks. People leaping out of skyscrapers. America being brought to its knees and, and these people are, are dancing as if it's the greatest day in the history of the world, burning the American flag. I mean, just looking at this picture all these years later makes, makes me very sick to my stomach. 
I remember thinking, what is wrong with these people that they would dance in celebration of children losing fathers and mothers and children dying, all, all kinds of people dying. And yet, one, and yet a decade later, though, when news broke that Osama bin Laden had been confirmed dead in Pakistan, I believe it was, my stomach had that same churning feeling as I saw Americans doing the, really the, the exact same thing, celebration of the death of Osama bin Laden. Now, don't get me wrong. It's one thing to be happy and to rejoice that, that a person can no longer harm anybody else ever again. That is a good and a necessary celebration of sorts. And yet what I mean when I said that, that I was sick to my stomach was, was when Christians were referring to this person with a racial slur, I'm so glad that blankety-blank is dead. I saw images on, on Facebook about had the Statue of Liberty holding his head and saying, we're so glad that blankety-blank is dead. And these people are Christians. And in fact, that made me even sicker to my stomach because we of all people have not been called to, to live the exact same way as the rest of the world lives. As the voice of God cries out to us in the blood of, of our enemies, in the days of Ezekiel the prophet, as I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and lives. And I know in part he is referring to Israel when they had wandered away from God, but this also applies to our others in our lives. God takes no delight when any of these people die. As the Apostle Peter says, God is not willing for anybody to perish, but for all to come to a knowledge of the truth. I love how King Solomon says it when he says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. And do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. But then, very chilling words, words of warning. In verse 18, as it says, Or oh, the Lord is going to see it. And he's going to be displeased by what he sees. And he's going to turn his anger away from our enemies. And the inference is, his eyes are now going to be looking at us as we dance on the grave of our enemies. This is not what we have been, been called to be. And yet here's where this really gets mind-blowing in terms of loving our enemies. As Jesus says that you are to love your enemies, Jesus does not use the word for, for, for like or for tolerate or like him as if he were an acquaintance or a friend, but rather what he uses. I mean, Jesus whips out big guns as he says this. He uses the absolute strongest word for love, which is the word agape. It's not so much love your enemies as it is agape your enemies. Whenever we hear that word agape, this is the kind of word that is a description of God himself. First John says God is agape. This is a word that is the kind of love that God has for the human race. For God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that he could die in our place. Agape love is the kind of love that will look at anybody and everybody 
and say that I'm going to love you even if you hate me. I'm going to love you even if I get absolutely nothing in return from you. This is a love that is so otherworldly potent that if it came down to it, I would willingly and zealously lay my life down so that you could live if it meant me dying. Followers of Jesus are to love their worst embittered enemy as if they were their best friend. I mean, just let that wrap around our minds. Jesus wants us to look at people who have antagonized us, people who we don't understand or consider a part of our tribe. And for me to love as much as I love my grandmother or my father or my mother, he wants us to look at them and to feel a love for them consuming in our very spirit, to daydream about their well-being, to pray for their absolute, most extravagantly lavish blessing in their life. This is how Jesus looks at people. We read about one man who we know of as the rich young ruler, and he's got all this stuff, and he's kept all of the commands from, from his infancy. And yet Jesus knows that this man is just 90 seconds away from, from walking away, rejecting Jesus, choosing instead to, to love this world more. And yet I marvel at what we read in Mark's account, as Mark says, that as Jesus looked at this young man, that he felt a love for him even knowing that he was about to reject him. This is how Jesus looks at us. It's how Jesus looked at a room full of men, or more to the point, at their feet. As of all people, the king of kings gets down on his feet, washes blackened feet of men, two of which are just about to, to arise and betray him for, for money. Two more feet who are just maybe an hour and a half away from, from swearing to God that they never heard of Jesus. All the rest of those feet who are just about to betray him, or rather abandon him in the garden when he's arrested. Jesus looked at them and he felt a love for them, knowing what they were about to do to him. And yet the most incredible example of, of the way that Jesus looks at us, of course, comes on the cross. As Jesus is spending six hours slowly suffocating to death and he's writhing in excruciating pain and, and his worst embittered enemies in this world are marching up to the cross in succession jeering him trying to to publicly humiliate him and yet jesus looks at every single one of his worst enemies and he feels a love for them in his heart and i know that because for six hours straight, Jesus is continuously praying, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But once again, I have to say, this is where this gets really, really, really crazy. If we come to the book of Romans in chapter 5, starting in verse 8. Romans, the fifth chapter. This, this is one of those examples of where it's good to look back for a little bit of time. Sometimes we have to remember where we've come from. Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 8, let us notice how the Holy Spirit refers to us. 
Up in verse 6, he refers to us as being helpless and ungodly. But then in verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet, and then he uses another word for us, sinners, Christ died for us. And so much more than now having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Now notice verse 10, the first six words of the sentence. For if while we were enemies... For if while we were the enemies of God, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. You see, what this means is that it wasn't just the scribes and the Pharisees jeering Jesus on the cross who were his worst enemies. What this means is that you and I were also one time his enemies. James speaks to this as he says that, that whoever makes himself a friend of the world makes himself, once again, the enemy of God. And I would like to think that, that I'm not the only one who has ever been guilty of that in my life. We have been enemies of God many times over in our lives. And yet look at the way that he looks at us. One day, if we remain faithful, he's going to look on us as if we've never sinned. That is what, what grace is. And now, once again, what Jesus is saying on the Sermon on the Mount is, and now go and do likewise. I have given you an example of, of what it looks like to actually love my worst enemies, and now I want you to also agape your enemies from the heart. Agape the people who are not in your tribe. And so Jesus explains how exactly we are to, to um, go about this. He says, first of all, love your enemies and actually pray for those who persecute you. And I've discovered that, that when we stop complaining about our enemies to other people, and we go in private and we pray to God for like three or four or five or 15 or 20 minutes doing nothing but just praying for that person, we emerge from that prayer looking at that person through the eyes of God. I am amazed at a man who was a Christian in the days of Nazi Germany, um, Bonhoeffer. And he says that through the medium of prayer, we go to our enemy. We stand by his side and we plead for him to our God. Rather than pleading for his destruction or for revenge, what we pray for is, God, please bless this person today. Please use me so that they can see you and want to be my brother or my sister in Christ. And just let me say that this is not normal human behavior. If we look into Luke's account, Jesus also says, bless your enemy. Where he says in Luke chapter 6, but I say to you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. But then notice how he says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And that word bless is a word which means speak respectfully of. Speak in a very accommodating sense. They may have wronged us severely, but here is something good about them that I've noticed. Or just recognizing that they are still a human being just like I am. So I'm not going to curse them. Again, not normal human behavior. Jesus also says in our text in Matthew that, that we are to actually greet our enemies, that we must greet them. 
I mean, it's our tendency when we have someone like this in our path to, to, I mean, sprint as far away from them as we possibly can. Jesus wants us to actually sprint towards them as close as we can. When other people might be insulting that other person behind their back, speaking about them in dehumanizing ways, what Jesus means is that we actually speak about them in a humanizing way. And we've all heard these words before out of Scripture. How love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, love does not brag, it's not arrogant, love does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it's not easily provoked. Or how about this one? Love keeps no record of rights or of wrongs suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness done, but it rejoices with the truth. And it bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, and it endures all things, and hope never fails. And I know that we have always attributed those specific words to our love for the church, and it does speak to our love for the church. But what we've got to understand is that this also applies to anybody, to everybody in the world, because it's agape love that is being referred to there. And yet, an even deeper reason why we should love and agape our enemies or our others is because Jesus says that agaping our enemies is a distinguishing characteristic of a person who is following in his footsteps. Jesus says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be called sons and daughters of God. I mean, just, just let that wrap around our minds as well. Notice that Jesus does not say, go to church, give 10% every single Sunday, learn and memorize every single line in the worship book. Those are good things. And yet what Jesus actually says is that this is what a follower of mine actually looks like that they are to love their worst enemy, that they are to agape even people that they themselves are despised by, that they are to actually agape people who vote differently than we do, who believe differently than we do. And we remember in one capacity how, how a couple of the apostles had amazed non-Christians once. When they look at how bold that they are speaking out, in favor of Jesus. And it says that as they look at John and Peter, that, that the only other person we've ever seen with this kind of boldness and fearlessness was Yeshua. It was Jesus. In other words, these guys look like Jesus. They resemble their rabbi and their teacher. And in the same exact way, in the capacity of loving our, our own enemies, Jesus wants us all to know that when we let the peace of the Holy Spirit extinguish all of the, the flames and the venom of unforgiveness and of hatred and of hostility towards our others in our lives, and yet instead we feel a love for those people, non-Christians are going to take notice that, that this person had to have gotten that from Jesus. Because that is the only explanation. They resemble Jesus Christ. 
I don't know about you, but when I look at the people who have wronged me most, when I look at people who don't look like me or vote like me or believe as I believe, I want to look at them in the same way that my friend Dawn and her sister are looking at their mom and dad as they share a wedding dance. I want to have that ethereal, idyllic, otherworldly love written all over the expression of my face. And the reason why we should never let the sun go down on our anger towards another person is because that exact same sun that is going to rise in the morning for, for us is also rising for, for that person who we're so angry with and who we wish harm upon. You see, what Jesus is saying is that at the end of the day, all of us bear the imprints of the divine. All of us are made in God's image. And one of my favorite singing voices of all time is of Marvin Gaye. And, and he's got this song, it's, it's um, rather obscure, it's, it's from the late 70s, but, but he says this, that, that it's a fact. Even the slimy seal needs love. All of the folks in jail need love. Even a mean old man needs love. Then he says in the chorus line, everybody needs love. Everybody needs to be loved. And the only way that, that we can live this way and to love and to agape our enemies is that we've got to look at people with brand new eyes. Jesus says in the text that it is the absolute easiest, most natural thing in the world to only love those who love us or to only greet those who we get along with the most. And he speaks about who in the Jewish world had been the most deplorable people, tax collectors and Gentiles, us, you know, us Gentiles. But in order for us to really understand what he's saying is that, I mean, even ISIS loves those who love them. Even the mafia loves their own brothers and not other people. But it is supernatural to love our enemies in this way. And this really is how Christians stand out. And a couple of weeks back, another close um, companion of mine from a long time ago, she had written online, how differently would we look at people if we walked into every conversation imagining in our minds that that person is going to be dead by midnight. I think that would change the way that we speak to our, our others. It would help us look at them through eternal lenses rather than a temporary lens. And yet I also want to ask, how differently would we look at the world if we were to remember that, that Christ is in us and we were to look at them as Jesus would very well look at them? A couple years back, I was in Atlanta at a conference, and I got to hear a Brene Brown talk, and it was incredible. She said that people are hard to hate close up. During the floods in Houston, nobody rushing to endangered people in rescue boats said, hop in. Oh, but wait, what political party are you in? Or what religion do you practice? And yet, what she says is that in those moments, there was no us and them. There was no lines of separation in the sand or, or um, skin tones or any affiliations. 
all that you were left with was just people, human beings, brothers and sisters who were existing and who were surviving and being rescued alongside together. And isn't that exactly what the church of Jesus Christ is? All these people of all kinds of political beliefs and, and skin tones and, and past and upbringings, we are none of those things. But rather what we are are just people. We are souls. We are human beings. Brothers and sisters existing and we are being rescued together in the way of Jesus. And I would say the best of, of a definition that I've ever heard about what an enemy is, is that an enemy is a person whose story we have yet to ever hear. An enemy is a person whose story we have never heard yet. And so I just want to ask us here this morning, who are our thems? Who are the people in our own lives and in our own world who we look at and think, that is not my brother. I don't have to love that person. I don't have to care or speak respectfully about that person. How this looks like for us is exactly how it looked like 2,000 years ago for, for all these people who heard Jesus say it. First of all, if we do have anybody like this in our lives, this week, just set aside three or four or just five minutes and pray for that person's richest blessing in their life. And you will be amazed at how differently you, you um, actually look and that you think about that person as you emerge out of that time of prayer. And lastly, Jesus says, greet this person. Maybe how this looks like for, for you and for me is to seek out a person who is not a member of our own tribe. Maybe have lunch with them. Have a conversation with them. Learn what their story is. And usually we will realize that a lot of the reason why we had disliked this person so much was completely assumption. Or maybe it was prejudice. Maybe it was just plain ignorance. But now we are equipped with perspective. And we know a little bit about this person's story. That helps us love this person more. People are hard to hate close up. Hi, this is Elisha Lovejoy. Hey, back streets, back, all right.